This is Personal Best. Five, four, three, two, one. Hey, welcome to Personal Best. So, in these episodes, I'm going to share some of the lessons I learned while writing the book Personal Best, available on Amazon and Audible. In this first section, I'm going to cover the secrets of successful people. I hope this really resonates with you. I hope it means something to you. Uh, please hit me back with your feedback. As always, Barry at personalbest.co.uk. I love hearing from you and it encourages me to do more of these. So I'm going to switch over here to the chapter which um, sets it all off, the ethos of personal best, the secrets of successful people. Enjoy. Those who achieve great things in their lives are not superhuman. They are not genetically superior and their backgrounds do not predict what they might accomplish. They do, however, share a similar mindset and follow similar disciplines. Success leaves clues and Personal Best is focused on identifying those traits and providing a blueprint to help anyone make improvements in any area of their life. This book has been written with the help of over 200 people who agreed to be interviewed or who shared their thoughts. Key quotes from these achievers can be found throughout this book. Personal Best is intended to show not only the primary factors in the accomplishments of people who have achieved outstanding success in their lives, but also to provide a roadmap to allow you to realise your own goals. That is the principle of this book. Regardless of where you are in life, no matter what you might want to achieve, by committing to be your best and following the guidance provided by more than 200 successful people, you have a bulletproof methodology to realise massive and lasting change. People who achieve things consistently are not that different from you. They just have a different strategy. The first part of this book covers those essential traits and the second part provides direct and proven methods that you can use to make leaps forward in your life. Success means different things to different people. It also means something different to each of us as we move through life. Goals, values and aspirations can change. But whatever success means to you, be it personal, financial spiritual, related to your career, improving relationships, enhancing your health, or all of these things, this book has been written as a guide as to what works. It shows what achievers from a wide range of backgrounds do consistently to realise their aims and provides tools that allow you to duplicate their habits to progress in your own life. Personal best can be used as a guide to become the very best that you can be in any way that you might imagine. The personal best ethos is based around doing what an athlete would do to achieve a personal best time on the track. Rarely does anyone from the world of athletics improve by 20% overnight. An athlete commits to working to a set training plan, so over a set period of time, ongoing improvements will be made. The way that athletes improve is by doing a little bit more every day, by stretching themselves in each session. The most incredible thing is that when you work to a focused, goal-oriented plan, even though the changes you make seem relatively minor on a daily basis, the overall gains are incredible. They can happen quickly, building momentum for more gains. Anyone whose children can relate to the massive steps they take without us really noticing. When we meet someone who's not seen our family for a while, they tend to comment on how much the children have grown or matured, and we have not noticed because we see our kids every day. Their progress is gradual, so we are less aware of their development. When I began my journey of interviewing some of the most successful people in the world, I was keen to bring together the common threads of knowledge and habits they shared. The main theme that I found in their stories, 
and something that anyone can immediately duplicate is that they ask a little bit more of themselves consistently. They push a little more, stretching beyond what they had done previously. I found this to be true in business, politics, spiritual leadership, financial achievement. They simply took responsibility, not only for themselves and their own actions, but also in handling challenges and situations outside of their direct control. The contrast in the ability of some people to overcome difficult circumstances when others cannot was shown starkly the day I met former police superintendent and policy advisor to the government, Brian McKenzie. He serves as a working peer in the House of Lords, and in this role he has the influence to help legislation that will become law. I was keen to track his career and in particular find out why he worked so hard to change certain elements of the statute book. Brian is proud of having shaped several key areas of legislation, and in particular, the change to law relating to double jeopardy. This was the law that meant a person could not be tried twice for the same crime, even if new evidence came to light. Brian was a passionate advocate for the abolition of this law, which he saw as a persistent barrier to justice. Brian told me that this had been in his mind ever since he served as a young police officer in Durham. At the time, a man called Donald Hume had escaped justice for a murder of a business associate. He was tried for the killing, but there was not enough evidence to secure a conviction, and he was acquitted. Hume subsequently admitted the crime and sold his story to a Sunday newspaper, describing in graphic detail how he'd killed, dismembered and disposed of his victim. Given that he had already been tried, the law could not touch him. Hume then went on to kill a taxi driver in Switzerland some years later. The injustice for this stayed with Brian so much so that years later he became the driving force behind the change in this law. Now that afternoon I had some downtime between interviews, so I did see some research on Hume's background. Donald Hume endured a terrible childhood. This does not excuse his future heinous acts, but perhaps explains the psyche of such an individual. Hume was abandoned by his mother soon after birth and was sent to an orphanage. The institution he ended up in was bleak and no compassion was shown to the young residents within it. They were regarded as the sons and daughters of sinners and treated accordingly. Beatings and punishments were commonplace and the owners even kept a parrot that shouted the word bastard just to remind the children of who they were. The orphanage set the tone for the hatred that Hume would later admit to feeling towards the world. When, at the age of seven, Hume lifted an axe and attempted to attack a member of staff who was teasing him, he was transferred to live with an aunt. Life did not improve much. Over the next few years, his aunt indulged her daughters and treated him with contempt. Donald Hume's hatred was further compounded when he discovered his aunt was in fact his birth mother, who had abandoned him and did now not want to acknowledge him as his own. Hume left home as soon as he could and lived a life of petty crime and larceny, culminating in him becoming a double murderer. Now, this isn't a pleasant story, and inevitably we'll speculate on how his adult life might have been different had he enjoyed a chappy childhood. Soon after, I moved on to my next interview with a genial man in his 60s called George. He too had been abandoned at a young age. His mother had given birth to him just after the war and soon after handed him to his grandmother who ran a boarding house in Sheffield. He was brought up in grinding poverty with several of his brothers and sisters. Of the five of them, only George and one sister lived beyond childhood. When he was still a toddler, George's grandmother offered him to a travelling family who'd happened to stay in her house for a few nights. George was given to these strangers and separated from his brothers and sisters. The family George lived with were kind to him, but the reality of their life was also one of harsh poverty. 
and George's life, George's life was itinerant and directionless. At the age of five, he was enrolled in school, he had kidney problems and suffered from anemia and chronic bronchitis, due in no small part to the penurious existence that he lived. These physical afflictions meant that he was not permitted to attend the local school. In those days, any affliction could lead to segregation as a no-hoper and being sent to a special school for such cases. George, therefore, had a limited education. His tumultuous life became more complex when the woman claiming to be his mother demanded that the family he lived with hand him back. They duly did so, and despite not even recognising his mother having been away from her since virtually since birth, George moved to a new home with her and the man she now lived with, who became his stepfather. But his mother soon left again, leaving George with his stepfather and stepbrother. From the age of eight, George pretty much looked after himself, as his stepdad was either working or looking for work. This lonely, impoverished life became worse when George's stepbrother began to sexually assault him, and he was regularly attacked by the older boy. George became adept at keeping an escape route available to him at all times when he was in the house, and he took to wandering the streets rather than risk further attacks by staying at home. At the age of 15, George left school with no qualifications. He secured an apprenticeship as an electrical engineer, and he has an abiding memory of the man he was working with attempting to explain basic circuitry to him. George was stupefied. He simply could not comprehend what he was being told. At this stage in his life, George had every right to hate the world and everyone in it. He'd been born into poverty, had been passed from home to home throughout his childhood, had suffered chronic illness, denied a full education, and been subject to the most unspeakable assaults. He had no qualifications and received no guidance. All he had was a belief. George told me, in life, I decided I could be a victim or a victor. I chose the latter. The teenage George enrolled at a college of further education and studied there part-time for several years while learning his trade during the day. He then went on to university where he gained a doctorate in electrical engineering and secured a management position with British Rail. Eventually, George moved to the United States after being offered a senior role with Emerson Electric. And in 2005, he took over at the industrial giant 3M as chairman and CEO. Under Buckley's stewardship, the business enjoyed sustained revenue and profit growth with annual revenues of over $26 billion. George is now regarded as one of the world's top business leaders and leads us to say he has been well rewarded for his stellar contribution. He was knighted in 2011 for his services to business. Two very different stories. Why is it two people can experience similar circumstances yet respond in different ways? Why is it that Donald Hume and George Buckley both grew up through frightening and horrific childhoods but one grew up to be a double murderer and the other to be an extraordinarily successful businessman. The reason for this will become clear as you read through the book, but the primary reason lies in the thinking and mental processing that each undertook. You may at some point have read a book or gone to a seminar that promoted positive thinking as a cure-all to bring happiness, joy and fulfilment into your life. These seminars have merit, and I believe anyone can benefit from building positive expectation as a habitual way of thinking. However, this is only half the story. Positive thinking without concerted, intelligent action can lead to frustration and disillusionment. Positive thoughts are powerful, but can undermine the best laid plans. I live near the coast. It's a truly beautiful area, and somewhere I'm glad to call home. However, in my part of the world, it rains frequently, and in different ways. Heavy rain, light rain, drizzle, sweeping in for the side rain, spitting rain, and so on. 
Now, I could repeat incantations that focus on the fact that it will not rain. I can repeatedly visualise that every day will be warm and sunny and that I will enjoy nothing but pleasant weather. This will not change the meteorological fact that it rains around 160 days a year here. If I have any sense, I know I'd better wear a jacket, carry an umbrella and enjoy my day. In life, it is the same. We do not have to throw our intelligence out the window. We can retain positive expectation but still be ready to handle the showers if they come. Our thinking will dictate what and who we become. So I'm all for keeping that positive mindset without losing sight of the fact that I share the world with billions of others who may be thinking or desiring something else. Blink of thinking which says things will turn out exactly as we want them to or we will win the prize and everyone else will lose is not only limiting but self-defeating. This attitude can still be found in individuals, organisations and companies. I admire, admire the sheer force of desire to make something happen but if two people or companies are chasing the same thing, who wins? If there can only be one number one, whose positive thinking is the more powerful? Personal best gives you an intelligent way of enjoying fast progress by employing the tools used by everyone who's achieved notable success. Without pushing aside your native intelligence, it allows you to run towards the goals, all the things you want in life, and to do so with balance and integrity. Let me tell you the story of Richard Thompson. Richard realised he was a quick runner when he was about eight years old. He found himself able to beat kids much older than him as they raced across the schoolyard in his hometown of Cascade in Trinidad and Tobago. He used this speed to great effect on the football field, becoming an accomplished player with a turn of pace that left defenders in his wake. As he got older, Richard decided to concentrate on track and field rather than football. He won a number of races during his college years and was disappointed not to qualify for the Trinidad and Tobago national team during the 2005 Central American Games in Nassau. However, by working with an experienced coach and dedicating himself to his training, he eventually improved his 100 metres time. His performances were good enough for selection into the team that travelled to World Athletics Championships in Japan that summer. Richard qualified from his first feat, but he did not get past the second round where he finished last of eight runners chasing the qualifying places for the final. His mood was upbeat though. He was getting faster. He was still only 22. At his age, he still had time to mature and get stronger. In fact, many sprinters still perform superbly well in their 30s. Richard's main goal was to qualify for the team that would travel to the Olympic Games a year later in Beijing. After a good winter season, including a new personal best over 60 metres and indoor event, his 2008 team on the place on the Olympic team was confirmed and he travelled to participate in the 100 metres where he'd be pitted against the best in the world. After the previous year's effort, Richard was determined to make the final eight, although this was a difficult task given the calibre of athlete he'd be up against. But he was running well and his confidence was high. He believed himself capable of making the Olympic final, which would be an achievement beyond that which many commentators expected. Richard won his first heat and qualified for the quarterfinals. He knew he would have to run to the top of his ability now as he was lined up against other world-class sprinters who had come through their heats, including Tyson Gay, the American champion. Richard breezed through in an astonishing 9.99 seconds. He was delighted. Rarely do athletes peak at exactly the right time, but he had. He was running strongly and felt he might have a little more in him. He was in the semi-finals one race away from his goal and a place in the final of the Olympic Games. When the gun went in the semi-final heat, Richard got out of the blocks beautifully, quickly hit his stride and pushed through halfway strongly. He powered through the last 50 metres to finish second behind renowned Jamaican 
sprinter Asafa Powell in a new personal best of 9.93 seconds. Incredibly, he had done it. By pulling out the performance of his life, he had not only qualified for the Olympic final, but it also achieved a time that even he doubted he was capable of. No one can ask more for themselves than to push further than they ever have done previously. Not everyone can be top of the class or become president or win the gold medal, but by taking massive intelligent action, we are all capable of achieving things that seem beyond our current abilities. The Olympic final of 2008 was a much-anticipated, as it turned out, historic event. The world's greatest sprinter, Usain Bolt, powered down the track in a breathtaking 9.69 seconds. Even by the high standards Bolt had set himself, that seemed almost superhuman. The distance between him and the rest of the field was large and still growing as he started celebrating his victory 10 metres before the finish line. It was incredible to witness an athlete smashing the world record in such a seemingly effortless style. What about Richard? Well, he scored another personal best, flying down the track in 9.89 seconds. He not only achieved another PB, his second in as many days, but he also secured the silver medal and became a national hero in his homeland. So should Richard celebrate his incredible achievement or should he be disappointed that he finished second? Should he look at his progress and his huge accomplishment of running faster than he ever done in his life or be down because he'd finished behind the fastest man on the planet? This is what Richard said in an interview immediately after the race. Words cannot describe how I feel right now. This is just a dream come true for me. I have to tip my hat to Usain Bolt. He's a great competitor, a phenomenal athlete, and there's no way anyone is going to beat him with a run like that. But it just feels good to come here, run in Olympic Games, my first Olympic Games, win a silver medal, and run a personal best at the same time. I couldn't ask for more, thank God. Your life is about private and personal victories. Maybe you don't go home with a gold medal, but if you do more than you ever thought possible, you've made progress and gained pride in the personal success of having done something you'd never achieved before. If you can do a bit more, be it in the workplace or within the home, if you strive to be better than you were before, your life will open up and you'll progress more than you ever could imagine. This commitment to ongoing improvement can be the cornerstone to incredible achievement. When you set a goal and move towards it by taking daily actions focused on its attainment, then you're working to a personal best ethos. If you have a clear target and you take ongoing, relentless action, constantly proving yourself, constantly asking more of yourself, then you will undoubtedly achieve your goals faster and more effectively than you ever thought possible. There is not one person of note that I interviewed who didn't admit to stretching themselves at some point in their lives and usually on an ongoing basis. They consistently did that which they hadn't done before. Often they had no frame of reference, having had no previous experience or any reason to believe they could conceivably achieve their goal. They just decided on what they wanted and the way they achieved it was by a process of ongoing improvement. We know this makes sense in all fields of endeavour. In sports you might struggle to run to the end of your street, but if every day you go 50 yards further than the previous day, then day by day, week by week, you will build your strength. In short order, you will be running for miles you'll be capable of doing a marathon. There's no secret behind it. It's just a case of doing a little more every day. The personal best method is simply a commitment to ongoing improvement and it is a quality I found in everybody I spoke to. What keeps a sportsman motivated? Once they've won everything they can, why do they keep going? Once somebody becomes a millionaire or even a billionaire, what drives them forward? Once somebody's written a scientific paper that changes the world, why do they keep going to work? 
The reason can be found in the deep-rooted sense of purpose that such people have and also in the love of what they do. They have an absolute unending commitment to being the best they can be. They want to stretch themselves and ask more of themselves. They want to find out what they are capable of to discover what more they can achieve. This is what makes the difference. It is behind every great story, behind every great success that I found during my research. Great people don't become great by accident. They just ask a little bit more of themselves. This is what's truly exciting. If one person can do something, then so can you. If you follow the same methodologies as someone who excels in their field, you will also succeed. The key distinction between people who seemingly come from nowhere to outstanding achievement is that they set higher standards. Admittedly, there are key drivers and strategies that they employ, which will be outlined as you continue listening, but these can be duplicated. Fundamentally, the question to ask yourself is, are you willing to set yourself a higher standard and commit yourself to achieving it? This doesn't mean you have to make a quantum leap overnight. It simply means consistently making small improvements to relevant areas of your life, be it business, finance, fitness, health, family, or relationships. If you try, just become a little bit better at what you do each day, then success you'll experience will astonish you. Once you decide that you will be your best and take appropriate daily actions, you will look back on each day and see that you have attained more than you have ever done before. Do this every day and you'll have a good week. Do it every week, you'll have a good month. Every year and you'll take strides to the greatest dreams of your life. And when you look back on the tapestry of life, it'll be one of achievement and fulfilment. The way to attain anything you want in life can be summed up in a simple way. Decide the price that needs to be paid and pay the price. Achieving each goal may not be easy, but it is simple. It might mean pushing yourself when you'd rather take the day off. It might mean working harder. It might mean developing more understanding. Whatever it means, if it takes you to where you want to go, it is a price worth paying. The people I spoke to during my research came from all walks of life, but one thing they had in common was an absolute commitment to continuous improvement. Whether consciously or subconsciously, they just become better at what they did over a period of years. They continually ask more of themselves and consequently achieve their aims. Personal best is centred on giving you an intelligent plan to help drive you towards your personal goals. Nothing in life feels as good as knowing you are getting better. It is such a fundamental need for all of us. It's what keeps people going. If you know that you're expanding your horizon, if you feel that you are getting better every day, it is life enhancing. It is the essence of life. As humans, we've excelled due to our self-awareness and consciousness. We've always looked to improve ourselves and our environment, both as individuals and within societies. We look to develop and move forward. Our progression as a species has been incredible over many thousands of years. In more recent times, technology has constantly pushed the boundaries of our knowledge and our medical capabilities and of virtually any area that we care to think about. We are living in contradiction of our values if we do not work towards being our personal best each and every day. Taking progressive action is the only way we can improve. If we act strongly, willfully and consistently, our actions will become habitual. If we want to experience joy in our lives, we have to be sure that we are constantly improving. It's when things stay still or when we think we are not making progress that we become frustrated. Something I feel sure you'll agree with is that the world around us is constantly changing. The corollary to this, which we sometimes miss, is that we have to be constantly changing with it. Better still, we have to be constantly improving. Believe me, we are not standing on the side of the hill. We are either marching up it or sliding down. If we put a thousand pounds in the bank and go back a year later, the thousand pounds will still be there, but will have less value. If nothing else, inflation will take a chunk out of it. 
So it is with our lives. We're either moving forward or sliding backwards. There is no stationary point. When people talk about someone's overnight success, they don't always see the commitment. They don't see the ongoing improvements that were made in that person's life. They just see the success and that person coming from nowhere into public consciousness. But we're all intelligent enough to know there is always a story behind the story. There are unheralded moments in that person's life when he or she pushed a little harder, invested more time, became dedicated to improving skills and committed to being their best. Sometimes people look at that type of individual and say, look how lucky they are. But as the Roman philosopher Seneca said, luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. I believe passionately that you should set incredible mind-expanding goals and you should paint visitors for the life that perhaps you don't seem believable. If you have a big enough reason to achieve what you want, you'll find a way to achieve it. However, one of the issues which many people have when they set goals or when they set out to achieve something is that an objective seems so far away. The journey of a thousand miles may well begin with the first step, but a thousand miles is still a hell of a long way. So people set out with good intentions, but they set such a lofty, ambitious goal that they become overwhelmed by it. The initial excitement of setting their aim can dissipate quickly when they come to terms with the magnitude of what needs to be done to achieve it. The other challenge which people face when setting major goals is they simply don't believe them. They may well set out to achieve their aims, but a small vice inside their heads tell them they're trying to achieve something that's beyond their reach. Consequently, they wonder whether it's worth even starting on the journey towards their goal. The fantastic thing about committing to being your personal best is that all you have to do is just get a little bit better in the areas relevant to your goals. If you're going to start that business, then all you need to do every day is take small steps towards realising that dream. If you're going to write that book, then commit to writing as many words as you can each day. These things are believable. Simple acts that you can complete comfortably will bring you closer each day to your ultimate goal. Taking these important incremental steps means that before long, you may well have created the next breakthrough business or written the next great novel. Who knows where it can take you? So set ambitious goals, but commit yourself to smaller actionable steps. What small actions can you take that will move you towards your goal? What knowledge can you gain each and every day that will get you there? What information do you need and where will you find it? All you need to do day by day, week by week, take steps towards what you want to achieve in life. This is maybe the most important promise you will ever make. A promise to ongoing improvement, a commitment to being your best, is what will make the difference in your life. Opportunities and happenstance start moving in your favour and you'll begin noticing that you are simply becoming better at what you do. Thank you so much for listening to the Personal Best podcast. As ever, drop me an email, barry at personalbest.co.uk. Love hearing from you. And if you have the chance, it would mean the world to me. I mean the world if you could leave an honest review on Apple Podcasts. It's how other people find us, discover us, encourage us to do more of this stuff. Thanks so much. Live well. Be your personal best.